The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. You want every single thing that you say to that dog to actually matter. And it's not going to matter if you're yelling, whoa, a million times while the dog's not even moving. My fellow bird dogging Americans. Each and every year, over 100,000 dogs are killed, falling from pickup trucks, and even more are injured. This is horrible. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then I urge you to check out Gunner Kennels. Don't just go get a basic, plastic, untrustworthy, and undependable box from the pet store. Sure, your wallet may thank you at the moment, but not after the trip to the vet because you entrusted your best friend's safety to the cheapest and unproven option out there. You wouldn't travel in a death trap vehicle, so why have your dog do it? He's your child. He's your family. He's your hunting partner that's always there for you, and he deserves the best. What makes Gunner Kennels the best? It's the only kennel out there that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The intermediate size kennel was tested up against 4,000 pounds of force and they couldn't go any higher because it broke the vice machine. The double wall rotomolded construction ensures it holds in all types of weather. Lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime and Gunner stands behind that. And most importantly, they're American made. Because America. They have all the accessories that you can imagine, including fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel accessories and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast and our country. God bless America. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another week of GDIY. It's actually the week to be thankful. Austin, how many hunt dogs do you think the Pilgrims brought over with them on the Mayflower? I don't know. I, I hope that they brought over at least a short hair and uh, <laughs> a Munstie. <laughs> Just those two breeds and no others. I guess those are the only two that we care about. Yep. Well, uh, what are you thankful for this week? Man, I am, 
Well, let's. I don't want to count my my chickens before they hatch here, but let's see. Hopefully, by the time the next podcast comes out, I'll be thankful to have Cash back home and him fully recovered from this freaking porcupine quill. Yeah, it's a never-ending story with him right now. Yeah, this thing. Uh, he had a little bit of a. Well, when they pulled the porcupine quill out, I told y'all last week that there was it was a there was a hard. Um, I guess a hardness uh, to that spot, and that was what was of concern to us. So that's why we elected to go ahead and get it cut out. When they cut it out, they saw it was a porcupine that had an infection a little bit around it. And an entire porcupine? Porcupine quill. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And uh, anyhow, guys, he, he developed, um, I think it's called seroma, but it's a fluid that uh, builds up around an incision site. And because it's like on the bottom of his rib cage, it's, it's for whatever reason, it was collecting like crazy. And so we got it drained and it kept coming back. I was using compression on it and, and some ice packets and it still was coming back. So, um, we elected to put a drain, two drains in him, um, would have been on Friday on the, I guess that's the 22nd for you guys. I don't know what day this is going to officially come out. I don't know. (laughs) Anyhow, a few days ago, we put drain in, and uh, the damn thing still was somehow collecting some fluids. So he's at the vet now. We're gonna he's gonna stay at the vet for a few days, and hopefully they can um, get that thing to, I guess, be receptive to the treatment that's been given to him, and and get the swelling and the seroma and all that to to go away, so that we can get him fixed and yeah. ready to hunt again, man. It's it's unfortunate. It's been five weeks since we're in wisconsin he got stuck by the by the porky and still dealing with it so guys it's a testament that uh you you really need to pay attention to your dog just because symptoms don't show up immediately you do your due diligence i mean i know we pulled out everything we could at the tailgate went to a vet up in wisconsin she did everything that she could then we came back you had them checked out as soon as we got back and then last week and now this week he's back in there and it's just from one incident and uh, it can sneak up on you. And and that kind of goes back to our episode with Wit when he said, you know, hey, it, you can do it at the tailgate, probably, you know, get most of them, but you, you just never know. And it is important just safety check and, and go get it looked at. Yep. And hopefully he responds, man. We're uh... – you know, so it's, it's a nerve-wracking deal, but he acts fine. He acts totally fine. It's just this, you know, this fluid pocket that just built up that we're trying to get to go away. Yeah. So um, hopefully it doesn't continue to be a nagging type of uh, injury or, or issue, I should say, and um, we can get it all healed up so we can move on and, and get him some more exposure in his first season. Yeah. Well, hopefully that gets wrapped up here soon, and I don't, I know you'll, like you said, you'll be thankful for that. And uh, what else are we thankful for? Um, Patreon users, maybe. Oh man, heck of a segue! And Patreon. you just ruined it by saying segue. You're one of those guys. You can't just let it flow. I can't, dude. I'm not smooth enough for that. <laughs> Seriously, thanks uh, to all the Patreon users that we have. Uh, it's not a whole bunch, but it's some, and. Uh, 
we have uh, have it set up to where eventually when we get enough, we'll be doing the large uh, gunner kennel giveaway on that. Uh, it's going to be a while when we get to all those users. But, hey, if you enjoy the podcast and you want to be nice enough to you know throw us a buck or two, we really appreciate it. It goes a long way to helping out the podcast. And, uh, yeah, we're, we've been talking about trying to figure out what we can start putting up for just Patreon users. So uh, we're, we're trying to come up with some good content and maybe some offers from uh, some of our partners and and stuff like that for uh the patreon users so be on the lookout for that and uh we still have time for the gunner kennel giveaway barely just just a few days now it's going to be announced the winner of that is going to be announced on thanksgiving so go to our instagram page and follow the steps uh there on the page it's it's um, in the post where the Gunner Kennel uh, picture is, is posted up. So follow those steps to enter the uh, giveaway, and we're going to announce the winner on Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving or the Friday, if we can get time. We all have family and stuff like that, but it'll, it'll be Thursday or Friday that we announce it on uh, on Instagram Live. And, uh, yeah, now go hit that up before it's too late. Get your chance for an intermediate-sized kennel, and, again, we are still matching. If you sign up for Patreon, it gives you more chances to win that kennel. We uh, we match the name of the hat with how many how many dollars you pledge per month. So if you do 10, 10 bucks a month, then you get ten more chances on top of the one that you do on Instagram. So we really appreciate that. So uh, Austin, you want to tell everybody what we're covering this week? Last week was part one. What are we talking about on part two? Yeah, so we're doing part two of steadiness this week. Uh, this week we cover the pointing dog um, steadiness and and the different uh, methods that we've used to achieve steady to fall but we do go over the steady to flush steady to shot and steady to fall or release whatever you want to call it so um, we we give just a general overview of what we did to get there just some pointers and uh, really you know I think that was that was about it for this one I mean it's a pretty detailed type of uh, um, episode. Episode, yeah. Yeah, last week uh, it was really well received. We actually got a, a lot of contacts from people, a couple emails, some messages, and stuff talking about how much they enjoyed it. And so, hopefully, this this week can piggyback off that one, and people still enjoy it. And uh, I think Austin said it last week. You know, we're not professional dog trainers. We're not experts. We just wanted to cover this and give everybody some information that we didn't necessarily have when we first got into it and and we've all been there when we first got into this and uh we thought that this information would have really just sped things up for us and our understanding of where we wanted to go with our dogs if it was available to us yeah so this is just a way for you guys to have this info to hopefully jump start you know you guys thinking about and actually doing the steadiness training yourselves so um enjoy it you know let's get to it and i hope you enjoy everybody have a great thanksgiving while you're traveling to see family or or some bird hunts or just wherever you go be safe and i hope you enjoy your time with your families and the holidays and uh, we'll see you back next week that's right guys everybody be thankful for uh, the ability to go hunt train your dogs and y'all have fun yep appreciate it guys
What every gun dog owner needs, besides the dog, is reliable gear. The folks at Duck Camp specialize in making apparel and gear for all types of outdoorsmen. The company isn't just for duck hunters and waterfowlers. They are a company for wing shooters and all outdoorsmen. When the hunting season is over, they put down their shotguns and boots, and they pick up their fly rods and hit the water. Duck Camp clothing flat out fits better. They're made with better fabrics, and they are just all-around better hunting shirts. Duck Camp has a commitment to upland hunters and providing specific products designed for those who love to hunt behind dogs. They have everything from solid color shirts to blaze orange accent shirts, quail straps, and breathable lightweight rain jacket. Their shirts are designed with a more athletic cut that allow enough room through the shoulders and upper body so that you can move and shoot comfortably in the field. They also just launched a brand new line of brush pants that are a can't miss, unlike your shooting. We at GDIY can speak firsthand to the level of quality this company produces. We have been using their Upland shirts for a few months now and can't even imagine wearing anything else. The lightweight shirt keeps you cool but protected from the cover while the heavyweight shirts will keep you warm and comfortable even in the coldest days of field. Duck Camp's brand is rooted in the camaraderie that you find at any hunting camp. It is as much about the feeling as it is about the place. Please go to gundogyourself.com and use the Duck Camp link to see their website. They are a direct-to-consumer company with no middleman involved. Stop in and purchase some amazing hunting gear and tell them GDIY sent you. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome back for the second episode for Steadiness. If you didn't uh, listen last week, we uh, covered a bunch of overview and the benefits and negatives to why you want to train your dog to steadiness. And then also just talked about the definition of steadiness because uh, if, you, if you're going to train for something, you really need to know what you're actually training for. And it's different than woe and staunchness and all that. But uh, if, if you need to, need to go back and listen to that, I, I encourage you to go Go give that a quick listen. Yep. And this week we get to hit on what uh, we know, I guess, based on our own experience, is how to train steadiness with these pointing dogs. Yep. We hit a little bit last week on steadiness with the flushers and uh, retrievers. Straight up honest with everybody, we hadn't done a whole lot of it. I haven't done any of it. Nick's done a little bit. but I've been around at some of the retrievers, but the flushing... Uh, we've already mentioned, I think in the intros that, uh, we're going to have some flushing guys on soon. So they're going to speak to that in more detail for us. Uh, but yeah, don't, don't expect to, if you have a Springer or Cocker that, Hey, I listened to part one of GDIY. I can go train my flushing dog to be steady now because, uh, I doubt that you got enough (laughs) information from us last week to do that. But the pointing dogs. It's a little bit more in our comfort zone. We've done that a number of times already. Uh, we understand the, the concepts, uh, the principles of it. Um, maybe not so much as the individual methods that uh, a lot of people know by name and everything, but uh, we're just going to talk about what we did and a couple of the other methods that we do understand and have been around. And uh, But when you're, when you're first going into teaching your pointing dog to be steady, you have to know which level you're actually wanting to train to. This is not a decision that you can make just later on down the road because it's going to determine on how you go about training the this dog. Yeah, so last episode we mentioned the different levels that we're familiar with, which is uh, steadiness to flush, shot, and fall. We mentioned that there's 
uh, steadiness to wing as well. That's defined, but it's I, I don't know anyone that necessarily trains steadiness to wing. I've never trained steadiness to wing. So I, I think the people that get confused on that, I, I think it's because I think AKC has it. I know NAVDA has it. The way the Ames books talks about it is I think it's more of a judgment uh, level for for the judges to be able to uh, pass judgment on your dog during a test to have a defined yeah. de, a defined you know level of okay when did that dog break yeah and if it was after the flush but before the shot or maybe right at the shot you know I mean whatever it's, yeah it's that be your steadiness. Yeah. So bottom line is we've never seen anybody or heard of anybody. Maybe you're the individual that, you know, stands out from this. That trains specifically shot to wing. Yeah. You know, everybody that I know of considers shot to or steady to flush the same thing as steady to wing. You know, they don't break out the difference between flush and wing. It's just when you're training one, you're you're training both. I think that 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 differential is really f- more for judges during tests. But I, you know, we may be wrong. If yeah. you know of an actual reason why some people may want to break that out, holler at us. Let us know. I'm interested in into hearing it. But uh, so we're really only covering steady to flush, steady to shot, and steady to fall, or what I call steady to release. Yep. So. But again, going back, you need to know, are you only wanting the dog steady to flush? Are you only wanting it steady to shot, steady to fall? Like you, you really need to know which level you're aiming for because there's a couple of different ways that you can look at this. You can train for each individual level or you can train for the end result from the very get-go. And if you have skipped, so like say you've only trained steady to flush or maybe you've only trained steady to shot – you can just do a building block off of those things and Absolutely. train steady to fall. It's not a you choose one method and once you get to that spot, it's, uh, you know, your ship sailed. You're not going to yeah. be able to do another one because, I mean, quite frankly, you did that with Rachel. Well, yeah, you know? we both, we've both changed, changed it up. I know with, yeah. with you and Scout, you, you started from day one. You're pretty much doing steady to release from yep. day one with him. Cash, you're doing it a little different. Mm-hmm. I did it in reverse. I got Rachel as a started dog, so she was already steady to flush when I got her. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, she wasn't. So I steadied her up through the building blocks. I went steady to shot then, then steady to release. And Lucy, I just did it all in one go. And it wasn't really by plan that way, but just everything that we talked about in the last episode about just – Doing everything on a daily, consistent, routine basis, planting those seeds, it just she was easy. It just clicked, and so when I was I was initially planning on doing it the same way, and it was just when I was doing steady to flush, she just came to steady to release. It just it it just went right on through. So So I did it all in one go. Define for the folks out there: steady to flush, steady to shot, steady to follow release. Steady to flush as a dog goes on point, and you want that dog to hold the point while you go out in front and flush that bird. So it's steady until that bird takes wing. That's what I consider steady to flush. Steady to shot is the same thing, but it's holding all the way until you shoot the gun, and then it's going after the bird. 
and then steady to release is obviously steady all the way through the birds fallen and it's waiting on your command to go retrieve the bird and so that's each individual level like i said and we've already talked about some people try and break it down to even more i don't understand the point of that uh again let us know if you do that but my deal is we already talked about our preferences we've kind of done it both ways where you do building blocks or you do it all in one go the building block method is honestly my preference and that's again i was planning on doing that with lucy she just shot all the way through and she just you know made my life a heck of a lot easier and but i like the building blocks because at any individual point in time you can stop and so say you're in the middle of the steadiness deal and you get steady to flush or steady to shot and hunting season comes up and you're not really training steadiness you want to go hunt you can stop and then pick back up on that individual building block next training season you don't have to ignore hunting to go plant birds and train on planting birds or, or whatever or get ready for a test you're you're just stopped or maybe some other issue pops up that is more important to you right then and there that you need to stop working on steadiness and go work on retrieving or something like that. And then you can come back to steadiness and you, you're picking right back up where you left off. Yeah, I think one thing is a lot of dogs can't go straight from flush to release. It, it's Every dog's different. Lucy was easy. I yeah. mean, she got it. And it was Are you calling my dog easy? She's easy, dude. In a good way. <laughs> <laughs> she she you laid that foundation to where it was easy to transition that patience and control in the field to where yeah. she knew that okay, this is my obedience command and I have respect for my handler and I am going to wait until the handler tells me, "Okay, go get that bird." So it was easy for her, but what you're talking about with wanting to do the baby steps, a lot of dogs require the baby steps to get there. Yeah. And so this is about, again... Rachel did. Yeah, you need to know the dog. You need to know exactly what that dog's makeup is to decide if you can even skip a step or not. Yeah. Because, like, we t- like you just said with Rachel, I mean, I can remember. I mean, it was... She was obviously stayed a flush but i mean it took a little while you know for her to get built it, up it to wasn't where, it wasn't hard to get her steady to shot but then this get her to stay steady through that shot it took her a minute to catch she, on to that because she loves that retrieve so much she wants she saw that bird fall she yeah. wants to go over there and jump on that bird and get it and, and she has a higher drive she has a higher retrieve drive than lucy uh well, I don't know. Lucy has a higher, higher retrieve drive, but just overall, Rachel's more of an intense dog. Yeah. And so that plays against her when you're dealing with obedience on, on birds in the entire sequence. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, we've both done it both ways. And so it, it's like you said, know your dog and some dogs can do it. Some dogs can't. Uh, if you need to go slower, go slower. Uh, if you're doing it and it's like, hell, my, you know, I was just training to do steady to flush and it's already staying there until shot. Well, good, good deal. You can probably shoot on through. Yeah. And one other thing is that earlier you mentioned, okay, if you do the, the training step by step, you know, the, the building blocks, um, if, if hunting season comes up, then you're not going to go backwards. You know, this is something that I worried about with cash this last well, before we went to Wisconsin. Um, and you'll talk to a lot of seasoned guys with, 
you know, all kinds of experience that'll say dogs know the difference between training and hunting. And most of the time when you're on wild birds, yeah, you are, first off, when you're on wild birds, you're not necessarily going to be, it's not a training scenario at that point, unless you make it one. And so you're going to let something slide that you're not going to let slide in the training field. Okay. And so what I'm getting at is, is that guys, even if you are say like at a weird stage, like I was with cash where we had worked on stay to flush and then we'd, we've been working on stay to shot and he was pretty good. I mean, I had him pretty reliably at stay to shot and I didn't want to screw up. Okay. We're this far. Am I going to be set back? you know, wild bird hunting with them and shooting them off the flush. If he, if he, you know, chases them on the flush, you know, the answer is, is that the dogs generally will figure out a hunting scenario versus a training scenario. And honestly, if you're out there trying to hunt and kill birds, I just made the decision. I was going to go hunt and I was going to shoot the bird, even if he flushed or even if he chased after the flush, you know? So I say all that to say, it is up to you as the trainer and handler to decide if you want to allow training to interrupt your hunting season. But I truly believe these dogs know the difference between training and hunting and that you can go, I could go hunt cash like I did in Wisconsin and then come back in the next week or two and run them again in the training field and us pick up where we left off. Yeah, I understand that. I take the viewpoint in, I'm training these dogs to a certain level. I expect that same level in the hunting woods as I do in the training deal. I think you're right. A lot of dogs can't pick up on the difference, but I'm not going through the energy and effort in the training field just to let it taper off in the woods. There are a lot of people that will train real quick, uh, just get through this real quick, and then we can move on. A lot of people will train their dogs steady to release for tests. Mm-hmm. NAVDA, AKC, Master Hunter, whatever, Senior Hunter. Uh, but then in the hunting woods, they only want steady to shot because you get all the benefits of steadiness, the safety and all that. Uh, but that's really all they require in the woods. So I do know a lot of people, but they'll even tell you when you need to test again, you got to go back to the training field and brush them up and polish yeah. them up. But it doesn't take too long. They figure it out real quick. But I just, I I want it, if I'm training it, I want it in the hunting woods. That's just my preference. Uh, but, yeah, so moving on, the next thing that you need to make sure that you do, and, and we, cannot, we cannot emphasize this enough, the importance of control in the training process. Yeah. It's important in all training, but especially in steadiness training. Uh, you need control of the entire situation, the, the best that you can get. Obviously, you can't control Mother Nature and all that stuff, but you, anything within your control, you need to make sure that you have a firm grasp on that. An extra helper that's 100% clear on the process and your expectations, again, back to your control as the handler and the trainer, and maybe even launchers can help you out in this process. While doing the, these training situations, shut up, okay? <laughs> if you ever heard that saying, the best tool in the trainer's uh, bag is duct tape, that is true in this. It, the people that are out in the field, this will drive you nuts because you're just seeing the dog confused. They're yelling a million different commands that's not even applicable to the steadiness training, 
just shut up. You want as minimal commands and verbal conversations and anything going on out, out there while you're training steadiness, okay? You want every single thing that you say to that dog to actually matter. And it's not going to matter if you're yelling, whoa, a million times while the dog's not even moving. You're not working on recall. You're not working on the dog ranging out. You're not working on retrieving or force fetch. You're working on steadiness. Mm-hmm. You have established a plan and you stick to it. And I'm saying it like that because, again, we can't emphasize this enough. You're focusing on one thing, and that is steadiness. Everything else goes away, and you can fix that later when you're working on that. Right now, you're working on steadiness. And as an example of that, (coughs) say that the dog does not abide by a command while you're in the middle of training for this scenario. Let's say the the dog drops the bird. Or let's say that, you know, we'll just stick with that. Dog drops the bird, okay? You have, you want, if you are going into that training scenario with a mindset that I am only training steadiness here and that dog potentially maybe hasn't been through force fetch or whatever, you want to reward the dog if it did a great job on the steadiness portion of that sequence, And so you could taint that whole experience and the positive association for the steadiness if you get onto that dog for something else. Yeah. And so that's an example that just came to my head for what Nick's talking about. You're in there training one thing. Yeah. Steadiness. That's it. Let everything else go by the way. It's like if if you're really having that big of an issue with recall or – whatever else you got to go back to that (laughs) go back to that like you know right now we're talking about steadiness and that's what you're doing in the field everything else is a side note you'll get to it later or you need to stop and you're not ready for steadiness if you're that concerned about something else priority is steadiness on this and then also another thing kind of that just led right into it if your dog is not pointing on its own you're not ready for to be working on steadiness because needless stead- to say steadiness steadiness builds off the point like you know it maybe we didn't have to say that but some people you you'd be shocked yeah. it's you know it's just just throwing that out there your dog needs to be pointing and then you're moving on to steadiness and going to, through each level and and step and then to start working on steadiness with pointers you don't some people that the vast majority of these people you teach these dogs woe woe is king in the pointing world some people don't teach woe we're not necessarily advising to those people they're, they're out there they have their own successful methods tried and true you know they, they'll do it i think it's you're going to make your life a lot easier if you have a solid woe if you, if you have a good woe foundation, then this it makes your life a heck of a lot easier on steadiness. I know a lot of people are just like, I don't teach my dog woe until after we study on birds. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, hey, if it works, cool. Have at it. Like, I'm not knocking it. Whatever works, there's a million ways to skin a cat. But what we're talking about now, you should have a solid woe. Yeah, no, that in my methodology in doing this is the foundation for creating that steadiness beyond the flush. 
is because it, that the whole thing is it's an obedience command. We've talked about from the very beginning when you get that pup home, you are creating a level of obedience with that dog that it is required to maintain. So if you have a solid woe command and that dog 100% understands what it has to do when you say woe and understands and associates any negative pressure when it's not complying correctly with woe and how to fix that pressure and turn it off by standing still again, you know, that that is when you're, in my mind, ready to move on to advancing in the, in the steadiness uh, aspect of this. Right. It, I mean, to piggyback on that real quick is dogs learn by association with correction, associating correction and negative reinforcement, whatever you want to call it, e-collar, uh, verbal stern, whatever, whatever gets your dog to correct itself. They will learn, okay, that, that correction is associated with this action. I did that and I got corrected. And then they're going to avoid the correction. Okay. They're supposed to. Yeah, that that's that's the thought process behind it. And then moving on, when you're going through this entire process, you are not shooting the birds unless the dog responds accordingly. Whichever step you're on, whether you're doing flush, shot, fall, you're not shooting the bird. I mean, I know it's kind of hard to when you're working on the shoot and fall uh because that comes after the shot, but you're only shooting the bird if the dog remains steady up to that point of the shot. So, for example, what Nick's getting at is, is if the dog goes on point and you're going in to flush the bird and it breaks, you're not shooting. You're it. not shooting that bird. Nope. If if we're doing stay to shot, if you're going in, you flush and the dog stays steady on the flush but then starts to rate to to chase that bird mid-flight yep. you're not going to shoot if the if the dog breaks and we'll touch on this when we get to that step if the dog breaks after you shoot you want to be able to stop the dog it's a control goes back to the control of this training scenario that turns into a denial they don't get that retrieve because they broke but we'll touch more on that so just no going in that no correct, no correct action equals no reward. Okay, this process takes a lot of sequences and a lot of repetition, and just accept the fact now that it can get expensive for birds releasers if you're using those. Obviously, homing pigeons helps help a lot with this, but not everybody has homers. It's just part of the deal. And okay, it takes time. It takes time, but it can get expensive. Just accept the fact that you don't. I know you had an issue with this when you started training scout. It's like that. I bought the bird. I want to shoot the bird, and it's like you have to be able to accept the fact that you will pass on birds because of this training. You need flyaway birds in this. That yes. is an absolute. Like if the dog doesn't do what it's supposed to do, that's a flyaway. That is. That is a situation that you're not rewarding so you got to accept that fact yes and then also last week we touched on planting seeds uh this time we're actually training so it's not really planting seeds but i think it directly lends itself to every step of the process no matter whether you're at steady to flush or steady to shot and then obviously steady to release when that dog is breaking i'm using the fetch command 
whether it's back, name, whatever, okay? The reason why is every step of the process, that dog is going to realize that it's getting the retrieve while that command is being put out. Obviously, it's not waiting on that command if it's just doing steady to flush and steady to shot, but it will translate into it later to where it's just like, oh, yeah, okay. I've been hearing that every time I've been going to get yeah. it. I need to hear it first. I think, yeah, later. that's that's it. The idea is is that the dog, even though it is making the choice on a steady to flush situation to chase um, after the flush, if you overlay that command, there is some type of association or at least the thought is in our minds that it wasn't 100% his decision and that it is a way to go ahead and plant that seed that it has to listen and it has to get that command prior to being able to get that bird in its mouth. Yeah. Later on when it goes through the rest of the process. Absolutely. So that's, that's the overview of the pointing. So let's actually get into, this is the method that we used it, uh, to train our dogs, uh, I call it the Prima method because Norm Prima helped us uh, along the way do this. And then we picked up our own little, you know, quirks here and there. And I'm sure there's some other method that is the same exact thing. Uh, with This is just how we did it. And, you know, if it's called something else, hey, let us know. Uh, but like I said earlier, we'll, we'll get to those individual methods later on down the road. So we start uh, steady to flush, okay? With this, you're gonna have to have some sort of control measure to correct the dog when it moves, whether that's holding the dog by the collar, which I don't prefer. I, plenty of people do it, uh, it's just not my preference. A check quarter lead, that's what I prefer at the start because a lot of the time when you're doing steady to flush, you're doing a young dog. So you, sometimes you don't necessarily want to be using an e-collar, but that the e-collar is another way to do it, depending on the age and the maturity of the dog and how well they understand woe. Because again, we're reinforcing that woe obedience. But either way, any of those, holding the dog by the collar, the check quarter lead, or the e-collar, it's just some sort of way to be able to stop the dog when it moves, okay? That's, you have to have that. If you don't, then the dog is just going to bust and it's not going to listen to you. It's chasing a bird, it's having the time of its life. It's not going to hear you yelling its name over and over and over again. Hell no, it won't. It, it, no, it's just going to flat out ignore you. <laughs> Even the dogs that are steady to flush, as soon as you start getting into the steady to shot stuff or giving them a little more rope to hang themselves on, so to speak, yeah, I mean, they are going to chase that bird, and that's the only thing that's in their mind. Yeah. So, the dog goes on point, okay? It, it sends out the bird, and it goes on point. I give the dog a solid woe, okay? I'm not screaming it. I'm not yelling it. I'm not stern. It's just you've taught this dog a good woe foundation. And it, it should just be woe. How many times are you saying woe? Once. That's important. <laughs> Just one time. When you're starting this, the dog is still... It, usually the dog is going to hold point until you want to go flush the bird. Walking by it, whatever. So it's kind of it's like, no, I want to get to the bird first. So if the dog breaks, okay, they're co the control, holding the dog by the collar or clipping the lead on it, uh, I'll put them back to where they pointed and then give them another woe. But I'm only telling the dog, whoa, one time. 
initially. So they go on point. I give it a woe. I walk up to it, and I'm either grabbing it by the collar or clipping the lead to it. Okay? Yes. The emphasis I want to make there is on the one woe command. It You see these guys that are going, whoa, 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 as they walk around with their dogs. The dog's standing there doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know, all that does, it teaches a dog that that first time you use a command doesn't mean shit. Yeah. So, keep going. I just yeah. wanted to paint the picture. <laughs> so, you now have the control on the dog, okay? If you have the e-collar on, you already had the control. But usually at this young stage, I'm using the, the check cord myself. And I prefer at at the start of it having a helper with you to come from the side or directly towards the dog because they're seeing everything that goes on. You don't get that competitiveness first to the bird drive from the dog and you're there focused on your dog. Okay. And so usually you, you want a helper, the gunner to come up and flush that bird. Obviously if the dog remain steady on its own without correction and that bird flushes you can shoot the bird and let go of the dog or really let go of the dog as the bird gets up if you're going step by step so, or if you did like what i was doing when i started with scout when you're trying to go steady through release from the beginning you hold the dog all the way until that bird falls yeah then let the dog go so just to be more clear, we're going to go step by step. So on this one, that bird flushes, you can let go of the dog, say fetch, and shoot the bird. And yep. you're and over time, it's again repetition, repetition, repetition. That that gunner is out in front or coming from the side, and then you do that enough to where that dog is allowing the flush to happen. It's not breaking. It's not moving. Again, if it takes a step, uh-uh, move them back. Give him another woe. Yep. Okay. When it figures that out and it's not messing it up, it's fairly consistent, you know, fairly reliable, then you want, I still like to have the handler or the, the gunner the, uh, come up from behind the dog while you're still controlling the dog. Obviously, not everybody's going to have a helper out there with you at every time. You just have to make do. So that's why I like the check cord or the leash. The check cord is long enough you can be standing on the check cord or just you know have it tied off to your belt loop or whatever in case that dog breaks, then you can stop it from going. If that makes sense, Scout would drag my ass to the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens, but you you just have to make do. But ideally, in a perfect situation, you have a gunner to help you out. And so I like to have the gunner then graduate to coming from behind the dog, and then same thing, re- repeat, repeat, repeat. And then when you get a reliable one out of that, then you start moving ahead of the dog and you flush and shoot the bird. And then that's, that's the whole purpose of steadying to flush so that you're hunting out there with your dog by yourself. Yep. You can go flush the bird without the dog diving in and bumping it or catching it. It's not going to catch a wild bird, but mm. it's, it's not, it's not bumping the bird. So, you could see the baby steps that Nick was talking about there. You start at first with the gunner coming towards the dog as it's pointed so that in in that position, it's less competitive for the dog to want to get to that bird first because the, the, the handler or excuse me, the gunner is not actually like walking beside the dog in a more competitive type 
of situation. Now, once the dog has graduated from the point where it stays steady all the way through allowing the gunner that's coming towards him to flush the bird, then that's when Nick was talking about allowing the gunner to come from behind or potentially at a 90-degree angle from the dog. And that creates more of a situation so that there is some competitive um, competitiveness there to where it will potentially allow the dog to be able to uh, make a mistake that we can correct. And then the last step is what Nick was talking about, where he could just come in and walk and uh, do it in front of the dog himself. And, of course, that is kind of the most um, competitive type of, of environment there that you could have. Yeah. And so when you get to that point and you're flushing the bird, congratulations, you can now hunt the dog. Yeah. I mean, when people, we get asked all the time, and you see it all the time on Facebook, when do you hunt the dog? In my opinion, when you have a uh, reliable recall and the dog will go on point and then hold until you flush it, you can hunt the dog. Yep. And so, enjoy. You can go hunt the dog. One thing, a little side note I like to do on this is every time you do this, when that dog goes on point, you're not immediately running that dog yeah, good point. You change up the timing of that dog holding point. You want to extend the time. That dog needs to learn that I'm on point. I smell that bird. I'm staying here until the handler gets here, until my owner gets here. Okay? If you, we've seen it a number of times to where every time that dog goes on point, the handler wants to immediately go over there. I'm guilty of it. At first, yes. You, you know, you may need to do that, especially a very young, you know, first few times out there. Yeah, you can't expect a freaking five-minute holding point. Yeah. But change up the time. Extend the time. Walk, just walk behind it. You it know. goes back to baby steps. Yes. You, you, yes. At the beginning, you want to get there quick. You want to have a good sequence that that dog knows, I did good. Yes. Then, once it graduates from that, you make it a little harder. The duration gets a little longer. And you just give more opportunities. And, and hopefully, it can keep building and yeah. understanding You know that I eventually, I am going to hold this point as long as it takes for my handler to get there and flush the bird. Absolutely. So that's another thing. It directly goes into hunting. You need to steady to flush, but you need to know that that dog will hold point, that it doesn't just smell the bird. And then after 30 seconds, if you don't get there in time, it wants to crash the bird. It, you know, it, it needs to learn to be patient and wait on you because, you know, it, it goes hand in hand, but that is something that a lot of handlers and people want to do is immediately run over their dog at first yeah do that but then start slowing down you know take a little longer to get there heck wait behind them talk to your you know the gunner get him in place just keep adding on that level and patience in the dog yeah and a wrinkle with all that is is if the dog does go in and bump that bird it's going to, that's going to help create some steadiness as well. Yeah. So you're at this point where you can now hunt this dog. It depends on you. Do you want to go ahead and start going to the next level? Or is it hunting season and you're like, hey, I can go hunt my dog. I'm going to take the hunting season off, worry about advanced steadiness next training season. That's what I advise most people to do is spend that first season, that first year, at, you know, if you have a spring dog or whatever, 
or even a winter dog just go through the next year get it you know obedience trained get it you know cooperation in the field and get it steady to flush and then if it's that time to where hunting season's right there or a month away just take the dog hunting but some people want to immediately go into the advanced steadiness that's fine uh so it's really up to you it's your choice your preference uh so let's just move on to steady to shot yep steady to shot is like what nick talked about earlier it gets you the benefits of the safety that you also get with steady to release you know and so this i when people make arguments about what level of steadiness that they require out of their dog steadiness to the shot it it makes sense to me it is one of those out of all of them this is the one where i'm going okay if i'm not going to require steady to release i'm damn sure at least going to require steady to fall and i 100 percent agree with all the reasons why people say steady to um, shot is all you need yeah and that's for the safety of the dog so you have a good sight picture it still allows the dog to be close to that bird or closer to the bird for a potential retrieving situation you know that we've talked about and um it it allows some control in that situation right so i'm all for it i get it um and uh you know honestly if i wasn't testing honestly that's probably the only level i would train to is steady through the shot uh but because i test I do study to release. And, and I guess that's what I was trying to get at by yeah. saying that. Yeah. So summed it up for you. So why don't you talk to everybody about what uh, we did with the, I guess, the next step beyond study to flush then. So it's really the same principles. Okay. You, you still need the controls. At this point, I do away with the check cord. I go to the e-collar. Okay. You can still use the check cord. It's completely your prerogative. But at this point, I'm trying to get that dog used to the fact that it's not only expected to be steady because you have a leash or the check cord or somebody holding its collar. I want it to be as free as possible, if that makes sense. But you still have that control level. You can still remotely reach out to them and hit them for not obeying. You can get them to stop, whatever. Okay. And so I transitioned to the e-collar on this and do away with the check cord yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because with both well i'm trying to think now with scout i think i did have e-collar i I had collar conditioned when i was doing started the formal steadiness training with both scout and cash i had already collar conditioned them to woe so i had the e-collar on them um early on in both of them but i still I still use a long um, lead when I started doing the steady to shot with cash. And that was honestly because the point that we were at, I hadn't figured out the level of stimulation that I felt comfortable with. Because he's a yet. super high drive yeah. and you just didn't feel comfortable with how much level he really needed. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, there's no way I'm going to put this thing all the way up. But sure enough, I had to end up eventually putting it all the way up for him to realize, okay, I'm, I'm he's just, just watching it. Yes. Some dogs take a lot of stem. 
yeah. other dogs i mean you you can have it on the bottom level and they act like you just freaking fried them yeah know your dog yeah so the whole thing is is i had as an extra level to be able to control that situation when i was introducing the shot i added the lead onto it okay so same thing but just yeah. added the lead in you can you can use a check cord but at this point i already have a dog that hunts i want it to start start associating with without the feel of the check cord getting clipped on or anything like that so i move on to the e-collar and again i'm correcting whoa so the dog goes on point uh they should be steady to flush now i'm starting to get into not even saying whoa as soon as they go on point and i'm only using whoa if they take a step okay so the dog is already steady to flush it knows the game you should not have to say whoa every time your dog goes on point. Yep. At this point, whoa is a correction. When they move, they get a whoa. If they don't listen, they get hit. And I'm not talking about you're not frying the dog, you're not doing continuous. I mean, unless they're running through the field and, you know, a nick isn't doing it, you know, honestly, you need to turn up your collar a little bit more. You need that level that when they are in full blown chase mode, or break mode that it's going to go into their brain and get it catch their attention so if if that nick isn't catching them then you have it set too low but so you need to find that perfect level you don't want it too high you don't want it too low but i'm only giving the woe command if they take a step or move or whatever and then you're going up there and on this i, I like to use a gunner because i'm still flushing but I need someone else to concentrate on shooting the bird while I'm watching my dog. Okay? You can do it by yourself. It's a lot harder. I, if you're doing it by yourself, I would advise you do the check cord, tie it off to your belt, whatever. Uh, just, I've never done any type of, of advanced steadiness by myself. Right. But for the guys that are in the middle of nowhere, they don't no. do the NAVDA chapter. You know, they may not have a friend that's doing this. You can still do this by yourself. You just need to have that level of control to where you can, you can make sure you stop them as soon as possible. Because if you're sitting there looking at a bird out there and your dog's behind you, or to the left or right or whatever, you know, it's, it, I would be flushing in a way where I can kind of see the dog in my peripheral. Mm -hmm. And if he's breaking, I'm not shooting the bird, but if he stays, stays there and shoot, then the dog goes and you say fetch. Uh, so again, it's the same concept. So if you're wanting to do it by yourself and another good option, Austin, I think that you use this a little bit was uh, even adding in blanks on this. So yeah. if you're if you're by yourself, yeah, try and do it flushing from the side to where the dog's at your peripheral, but you don't have to worry about it too much because you're just shooting the blank. You're not really trying to shoot the bird, and so the whole purpose of this is getting the dog steady to when you shoot. Right. And so it's like you're still watching the dog, and you can just shoot in that direction. You're seeing the reaction of the dog at the yes. shot. And, and so as soon as you shoot, that dog can break, and it's not going to catch the bird because you're not shooting the bird. And, uh, yeah, so at that point, that like you can do it by yourself. I just prefer having a gunner do it because then I can – control my dog the entire time and i'm making sure that the dog is steady until the gunner shoots and hopefully he hits the bird and he can get the reward because he stayed steady through that shot 
Yeah, and that's a good point, too. If your gunner misses, it's not the end of the world, guys. I'm the first to admit I had my dad out in the field when I had Scout uh, early on doing this, and I would get pissed. I, <laughs> I would be like, how the heck did you miss that? And my dad and I would end up I'd end up be, basically being like, dude, we're going back to the house. And you, you used to get pissed off. Austin was that guy when I first started training with him that he, he wanted like eight to ten complete sequences Hell in the yeah. field. Every bird shot. And then it's, I mean, it's you can tell it still bothers you sometimes right now. But you, you just, you learn as you go that it's not the end of the world that you don't have to complete an entire sequence, especially if you're working on individual steps of yeah. the sequence. I think it goes back to me being so cheap. I'm like, gosh, yeah. $5 for a quail, and yeah. I can't even get it? <laughs> and now we primarily use chuckers, so yeah. there's seven or eight bucks. <laughs> no, but um, anyways, don't let that sour your, your training for the morning because I promise it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. So, again, you do that, the process we just described, and you're just repeating, repeating, repeating. If the dog – so you go and flush the bird. The gunner's not going to know for sure – what's happening i try if if i have complete control over the field and it's just me and my gunner out there if i'm watching my dog if he breaks before the gunner shoots i yell no shot because i don't want him shooting and i correct the dog Mm -hmm. and then i'll heal them away because the bird's already gone i heal them away from that bird they get no reward they get no shot and so they have to understand that if i move I don't even get a shot. Yeah. Okay. And so you want every sequence to work like you intend to, but it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, so, but you have to have that failure. Yes. And so that's, again, what we were just talking about with you, uh, not liking complete sequences or not shooting the bird. And what we talked about earlier, just accept the fact that you're going to spend money on this. Yeah. I mean, you just are, unless you ha- live in the mecca of wild birds and you teach them on wild birds. But, you know, usually training season, you can't shoot the birds anyway. So planted birds, this is, you know, what we use. So we're coming from that that standpoint. Just know that you're going to spend uh, money on birds unless you have homers. But then guess what? If you shoot the bird, I don't think that bird's homing back anyway. So you're still spending money. And uh, But, yeah, you just repeat it over and over and over again until that dog is reliable and it's the new expectation it's not no longer a goal it's an expectation of that dog and you want to get it to where in that training session if you can connect three to five sequences together on that i would say that's pretty good and you, and if you want to go on to that next step that'd be when you are ready i think so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going out there. I don't have 10 birds out in the field. I'm going out there for three or five five birds, you know, at most, a handful at most. Usually I just do three per training session, you know, in, in a good training session. But honestly, I've left birds in the field because we've hit mm-hmm. the exact result. So it's like if you have three birds out there and you're training this dog and it's just – it's you're working on it, working on it, working on it, and you have a perfect scenario, and you you get that retrieve back. 
I'm done. I'm going back to the You're truck. You're ending on a good note. I'm ending on a good note. There is nothing else that can come later on yes. that is going to help out your training that yes. morning. Now, the the next training session and the, the following ones, it's like, yeah, I'll extend it and go to second, third bird. But don't be afraid to call the session early, sh- you know, in the beginning of this thing, when you're trying to make sure that you have a total positive sequence here, if you get that, that's, Call it a day. that's good. Yeah. And again, it's leaving money out on the field, but I guarantee you the guy behind you, if it, if you're at a training day or something, you'd be like, hey, I still have two birds planted out there. You know, you can have them. You want to buy them. Trade me two years, whatever. I don't think anybody's going to mind that they don't have to plant two birds for themselves. But end on a good note. You know, that doesn't mean that if you do three birds and the dog didn't get one right, that you just go plant more. You're not going until you end on a good note, but it's like if you have the perfect sequence on any of these uh, steps, just stop. Just end on a good note. Dog had a blast. You got the goal. And then the next one, expand, try and do two sequences, then three sequences, whatever. You'll, You'll get a lot further, a lot quicker by doing it that way. And then... So that's steady shot, and then you're moving on to steady to release. This is, again, the same concept as the other two. It's just another building block, okay? The only difference here is, again, hopefully you have a gunner, all right? This is a little harder to do by yourself, but you can still do it. Uh, dog goes on point, you flush the bird. The gunner shoots it. You're then correcting the dog when it normally breaks on the shot. So you're adding in that next level of correction. When you correct that dog on the shot, obviously the expectation's never been that it's waiting on a release. So the first few times, obviously, he's going to break on shot. You're correcting the dog, putting it back at point where it was at, and then it's a denial, and you're going to get that bird. And then you're showing them that bird. Yeah. At least that's what I do. Yeah. You're going to show it off, lift it up in the air. Look what I got. You didn't get it. It's my bird, not yours. Yeah. Uh, So that dog needs to realize, okay, he gave me a woe. I was breaking and I didn't get the retrieve and he went and got it. That's obviously if the guy shot the bird. If he didn't, okay, whatever. You heal him off. When When the dog does not do what's expected he does not get the retrieve so and no bird heal away after yeah you've got the bird you showed it to him basically i put it in my vest i go to him heal him in the opposite direction and then set up a new opportunity absolutely and repetition 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 so it, it's still the same thing dog goes on point but this time when I'm only giving the woe command when the dog moves. So now I'm giving giving the woe command when it shoots and the dog is supposed to stop and you move them back. And it doesn't take long because the dog's already kind of figured out the process from going to steady to flush, steady to shot. It really does not take that long if you're consistent. Okay? If you're just out in the field and the gunner shoots the bird and it falls – but the dog was close, like he only took a couple steps, and you're like, I'll give him the retrieve. It's going to take you longer. That is something that is very easy to overlook because these dogs are going to come very close to having the whole sequence a lot. 
Yeah. And you have to have that self-restraint and control as the handler to say, okay, even though he took one step, I'm going to go pick up that bird. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you don't make that reinforcement and you give him that reward, he's going to think, all right, next time I can get away with this too. So that's why you have to be proactive and make sure that you kind of nip that in the bud early. And so they shoot the bird. It goes down. Your dog is now figured out. It does not move. The release is important. You want to release the dog in the same manner every single time. Mm -hmm. If you're one of those guys, you don't want to walk back to your dog. You just want to point in the direction of the bird while looking at the dog and you say, fetch back, whatever. That's fine. Do that every time. If, if you're that guy like me, I prefer to walk back over to the dog because it just further establishes the steadiness and the patience and I'll line the dog up and send them. Some people go all the way back and tap the dog on the head. The tapping on the head does make, in my opinion, a more reliable, steady dog because they know they associate that fetch command with the tap on the head every time. So and even not, if like if there's another dog in the field yes. at that point they know if some they hear a fetch it's not but them. they don't have a touch on their head they may yeah. not they're not supposed to go. Yeah. And so I do like that in a training scenario what I don't like about that is when you're actually hunting <laughs> And say the dog is in some thick, messed up area or across a creek or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you don't go over there and tap it on the head, it's not going to go retrieve the bird. And you're just sitting there just yelling, fetch, fetch. And I was like, where's the tapping on my head? Yeah. It's like the football player. Where's the smack on the ass? Like, you know, what, what, what I did something's good. Something's missing here. Yeah. Something, <laughs> what's going on here? So that's the only reason I don't like to tap on the head is I want to be able, if I can't get to the dog, I can verbally send it. But uh, the reason why I say do the same thing every time is because a testing scenario. You want, you want to train like you test and train like you hunt. And so whatever your method and preferences, just consistence and do it. Because the second that, like, say you're the guy in the training field and you just turn around and yell at the dog, fetch. Okay, that's fine. You can do that on the test too. But if for whatever reason on the test you turn around and you take a step towards the dog or in a direction or whatever and the dog breaks before you say fetch that's not good it's you'll, you're gonna get docked and so like anything out of the norm and that's why i like to walk back and it teaches them you know further patience yeah it's it's all about like just having that that control over the situation but also the relationship with your dog to where they know like all right i am working with my owner handler trainer whatever to accomplish this result and so if you are walking back to them and i like trying to make eye contact at some point through this thing you know with the dog and 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 basically trying to establish that connection even out while we're doing the training stuff in the field just so that it adds another layer to it you know I, i i want to be able to without saying anything in a scenario like 
have it go all the way through with literally the only thing that happens with is with me coming over and tapping my dog and saying fetch, you know, right. That's ideal. So, so that's how we train steadiness. We've done multiple dogs like this. We've helped people do multiple dogs like this. It's proven. I've seen it work on higher drive dogs. I've seen it work on less drive dogs, more timid dogs. It, it works, okay? You just have to tailor your, your control on everything, and, and it really does work. Um, there are a couple other methods that we've helped and seen other people do, and they do work. Uh, one being the scent birth bird method. I know George Hickox, you know, promotes this a lot. Uh, but there, there's benefits and drawbacks to that as well. I honestly think the scent bird method provides a steadier dog, a more reliable dog. Okay. More naturally steady. Dog. Yes. A more natural steadiness. Like I, I, I do believe that's overall a better method, but the drawbacks, and we'll get to that in a second, it's just too much for me. I would rather do the process that we just went through and describe because it's more feasible for me and more readily available because I guess we need to give a real quick overview. So these people are like, well, what the hell is he talking about? Okay. Do you want to talk about it or you want me to break it down? Give the stab. I've only helped out do this, you know, probably three or four different times. I know you've had a little more okay. hands-on experience with it. So with this method, you're going to need release traps. Okay, you need launchers. So, when I've seen this done, you want anywhere from three to five birds set out, okay, each in its own little launcher. And then you're bringing the dog up, and the scent bird is what's going to cause the dog to go on point, okay? Well, you're not then flushing that bird that they're pointing. You then have the launchers of the other birds scattered out behind the scent bird. And then you just one by one launch each bird. It's basically surrounding the dog. Kind of, just not behind it, obviously. Yeah. Right. Out yeah. to where so it's... a half moon. Yes. So you have a scent bird in front and then a half moon behind it of release traps. And they're just remote control. Or you can even use kick traps. You don't have to have launchers, but you're walking into e to each individual one. And you're just one by one kicking up birds. Okay. And then the last one that you do is the scent bird. And what that does is it's more of a bird teaches dog method. It's just, I am standing here on woe. I shouldn't say on woe, pointing on scent. And if I make a move, another bird's going to fly. Yes. And that's what that's trying to recreate. And it, it's fantastic, especially if you're hunting cubby birds, you know, huns, uh, quail, whatever. Uh, it gets the dogs used to numerous birds in one area, and they remain steady through each and every single one. And obviously, if the dog breaks on one, you're correcting and placing back, and then you heal them away, and then you're resetting the launchers, and you're doing it again. Yep. I truly believe... That this is a more reliable way to do it. I do. I just think it produces a better steady dog quicker. And, but again, the drawbacks. I don't have all day to set up traps. 
I don't have the money to buy that many birds. I don't have that the money to buy the launchers. If you don't have the launchers from a chapter or whatever, to me, it's just, it's just not as simple as going out there and you can knock out the other training session in 10, 15 minutes, whereas opposed to this, you're spending freaking 10, 15 minutes just setting up one scenario and then you're losing all those birds. And I know some some people, they'll tie the bird to the launcher or whatever. To me, that defeats the purpose. I mean, until you get to the point of really steady to release and just healing your dog away, I want the bird to fly off. I want it. I want the dog to see that bird go away. So it's just like, I think that it's a, it's a hell of a method. I enjoyed helping the few people that I've helped do it. I enjoy, you know, talking to people about it. But to me... I would rather just go out there in 10 to 15 minutes with one gunner, one helper and building blocks off of that. Because to me, it's like, while the scent bird method, I think is an easier and maybe quicker method to get to the end goal. I don't think it's that much quicker and easier. If that makes sense. It's not as practical for people like you and I. Yeah. It's like, if you have the launchers and the means and the time have at it, like I think it's a hell of a method. It makes sense. When the, when the first person was telling me about it, I was just kind of like, do what now? <laughs> and then I, I saw, remember that conversation. <laughs> and then I saw it in action. I'm like, okay. That kind of works. Yeah, that, that works. It makes sense. And it, But, yeah, I'm just not going through that many birds and that many traps to, to do it. It's just like, okay, let's go get three birds and go work on steadiness. Whereas opposed to you need, you know, three to five birds for one scenario, eh. You know, I'm. I'd rather save the money and time. Yep. No, I agree, and I, but I I do see what you're saying, and I have seen the benefits of it. Yeah. So, another one that um, we need to mention is bombing birds. That method. <laughs> that's what that's what we call it, anyways. And um, in this scenario, it's you can use even a scent bird on it, uh, but yeah. I've I've seen it done with. Really, I've seen it done a couple of ways. The latest way that I saw was I'm just going to say Adam was what I doing yeah. what I was what I would call bombing birds. You know, yeah. last time we were doing steadiness with him, we had one scent bird and um, just uh, a whole bag full of quail. Yeah, and we're we get Mitchell on point, and then we start basically bombing him with birds, letting <laughs> yep. birds come out, watching him uh, or making him watch those birds fly off. And then incorporating the shot into yeah. it and everything, and so it's it's just a different methodology. It's it's really similar to the scent bird method, but without the traps. Yeah, and you just have a helper. I, I don't like the handler to have the birds and bombing the dog with the birds. I want the handler to be handling the dog, and I also don't want the dog associating the handler having all the birds. If that makes sense, right? Like I would prefer. To be able to bomb the dog with birds from a, a helper launchers. out of sight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> launchers. So really, it's the scent bird method. You're just not using launchers or kickboxes for it. It's like a more practical way to do this to do the scent bird method for us that... Don't have launchers. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're getting into, you're still going through a lot of birds. But you are right. There are other people that do the bombing birds without even a scent bird. Right. But... To me, 
that hasn't really made sense to me because to me that's just a more more intense version of training stop to flush yeah uh and so a lot of those people that do that those are the people that we were referring to earlier that they'll they'll train steadiness and then train woe yeah afterwards but i just assume teach the dog whoa and move on to pointing and then it's just like boom they're associating everything with the pointing and the scent of the bird with everything you're doing that way you're not training it and then moving on to trying to associate the steadiness with the scent of the bird if that makes sense at all so those are the methods that we've seen in person like we said in the uh, intro there are other popular methods that are known by name by the authors and, and trainers that have been doing this for decades these are just what we've seen in person. We have experience and the process that we used. And I've seen a ton of dogs. I mean, in the short time we've been doing this for, you know, however many years, handful of years, we've seen a ton of dogs already get trained by this same method. And we've seen every dog from the highest drive out of control, just animal of a dog to the most, you know, kick them off your heels cooperative dog that you can imagine we've seen it work on all of them yeah this is our uh redneck and uh you know (laughs) just practical way of doing it yeah (laughs) nothing fancy yeah it gets the job done and you just do the step-by-step process one of these days i'm gonna be in a position where i can use that scent bird method i really do like that method i just i it's just not feasible for me right now yeah, I agree. But uh, yeah, so sorry for uh, going long on this. Hope you stuck with it. Hope you found uh, found some good information from it. There are a bunch of other methods that, like we said earlier, we we want to study in more detail and we want to cover those specific methods maybe in its own episode and break them down. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of detail and steadiness, and there's a lot of this is my way of doing it. That's not right. This is right. And, you know, we're not saying that our way is the right way. We're just saying this, it's worked for us and we've seen it work for a, a ton of other people. If you have any corrections, any additions, you know, cor- whatever, let us know because we're here to learn. We want to hear what you think about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Austin, do you have anything else to add? No, um, it, there's a lot of different stuff. We talked about in the first episode about kind of building the retrieve drive and, and how it works in with all this. I mean, guys, there's a lot of different stuff you can just do with retrieving in the backyard that just cross associates into this steadiness stuff too in the field with birds. Yeah. And so nuanced stuff like that, um, I, I don't necessarily know that we're ever going to spend a whole podcast on that, but I'm sure it's going to come up in conversation at some point and we'll just give pointers whenever they come. Yeah. You know, hopefully this just gave somebody a good starting point for understanding kind of the process and baby steps that goes into this. Uh, The idea was that we didn't have this when we got into this world. And so we wanted this to be out there for people to listen to so that they knew what, just basically how to start yeah how to start the steadiness process absolutely so guys hope you enjoy uh we'll be back here next week uh with another highly entertaining and can't miss episode so uh yeah we'll see you then appreciate it see y'all thank you
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.